Straw Hut Media. Last week, I watched a new documentary on Netflix called Disclosure. It's an in-depth look at the way trans people have been portrayed and represented on screen, all the way from one of the first silent films up to the present day on series like Pose. Today on Pride, we talked to Sam Fader, the writer and director of the documentary, and actress and writer Jen Richards, one of the people he interviews. It's a really powerful film and relevant in so many ways right now, not only to people within the LGBTQ community. So I'm very excited to share this with you. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. There are lots of ugly things about our history that feel like an assault, I think. But I think we have to know them. I think we have to learn them. When you watch this documentary, which you should all do as soon as possible, you learn that there has never been a time in American film and TV that trans people were not represented in some way. That's crazy, right? But the issue of representation is so much more complex than simply having a trans character in a story. Back in 1914, D.W. Griffith, yes, the same guy who made Birth of a Nation in 1915, an obscenely racist story where the Ku Klux Klan saves white America from vicious black people. But in 1914, he made a movie called Judith of Bethalia. In the movie, there's a gender non-conforming character who was, unsurprisingly, mostly the butt of jokes. And much like Birth of a Nation set the standard for criminalizing and dehumanizing the black body, Judith of Bethalia set the standard for ridiculing and dehumanizing the trans body. As Disclosure takes us through the history of trans representation up to the present day, it's actually kind of mind-blowing to see the patterns repeat over and over again, and to see how those representations affect the very real people these roles are meant to depict. So today, we're talking to two people involved in this film to discuss not only the role of film and TV in the lives of trans people, but also the idea of disclosure in general, what it means to come out as trans, the choice, the danger, the power, both good and bad. So here's Sam. Uh, my name is Sam Fader, and I am the director of Disclosure. Disclosure is the history of trans representation that reveals how Hollywood simultaneously reflects and manufactures our deepest anxieties about gender. Um, it specifically looks at the current rise of trans visibility and how we got here, um, along with the violence that many trans people face on a daily basis. By now, we all know that media representation has a profound effect on the real-life experiences of people all over the world. We talk about it here on Pride a lot. Positive representation has so much power to change the way we frame humanity, for those that are different from us, those that are similar, and even ourselves. And something that comes up a lot in the documentary is the moment when a trans person discloses their transness, or more often is outed on screen. I think for a very long time, the ways in which trans people have been represented on screen have suggested that we're not real, have suggested that we're mentally ill, that we don't exist. And yet, here I am. Yet here we are. And we've always been here. 
Hi, I'm Jen Richards. I'm an actress and writer, and I'm one of the subjects in Disclosure. It's a very fraught concept that trans people have to talk a lot about amongst themselves. The idea is, uh, particularly for trans people who the rest of the world would assume are cis because we have this, you know, what we call cis normativity. We just assume that people are cis unless there's some kind of visual evidence that tells us otherwise. So for trans people who quote unquote pass, there's this notion of when do I disclose that I'm trans? If someone assumes I'm a cis woman, at what point do I need to disclose that I'm trans? Uh, why is that onus on me? Uh, why is it assumed that being trans is something that needs to be disclosed. It just opens up this whole kind of Russian nesting dolls of, of issues around uh, being trans and our assumptions about the kinds of things that should be disclosed to other people. What cisgender people may not consider when it comes to disclosure is that it can be deadly. Just last month in Chicago, an 18-year-old man murdered Selena Reyes Hernandez. Just before our interview with Jen and Sam, it came back into the news. A trans woman met with a cis man, ostensibly, assumedly straight cis man, who went home with a trans woman to, to her house. And apparently at that time, she disclosed to him that she was trans. And he didn't, he says at least that he didn't know that going there. And he got upset and he said he had to leave. And so he left. And that should have been the end of the story. Like I've, I've had that happen before. I've been with a man who didn't know I was trans. I disclosed and they're like, okay, I'm not interested. And, and that should be the end of it. But it wasn't the end of it. The man was so enraged that he came back hours later, walked into her home and shot her in the back and in the head, killing her. That alone is a story I've heard way, way too many times. But but the part of the story that, that particularly disturbs me is that hours later, after he killed her, he came back again to shoot her dead body. He was so upset at what had happened. He said that he couldn't stop picturing it, that he had to come back and massacre the body. According to the Human Rights Campaign, 14 transgender or gender nonconforming people have been murdered just this year. Last year, that number was 26, and the majority of them are black trans women and trans women of color. But what's even more disturbing about the violence towards trans people in America, and specifically trans women, is that these murderers feel the need to go even further than taking their lives. The hatred for trans people is so intense, particularly for trans women, is so intense that there's this need to go beyond just death, that they can't just eliminate the life, that they have to destroy the body. It's like they have to destroy any evidence of what caused this some kind of cognitive dissonance in them, you know, that, that's all rooted in, in toxic masculinity. This, Jen says, is the kind of thing she thinks about when it comes to disclosure. This was the result of Selena Reyes Hernandez disclosing that she was trans. In the documentary, they point to the 1999 film Boys Don't Cry, which was based on the true story of Brandon Tina, a young trans man who was murdered along with two witnesses in Nebraska in 1993. One of the news headlines that followed that triple homicide read, Crossdresser killed two weeks after town learned her true identity. These are the stories that drive that very real fear of violence or worse dealt with by trans people when it comes to disclosure. And so when I say the concept is fraught, I just don't mean that intellectually. I, I mean that in a very lived way. <laughs> it's a really horrifying, um, fraught concept. I have always 
kind of looked at queer representation as like, oh, at least we have representation. But after watching that documentary, it really changed my entire opinion of that because it draws this line between representation that's good and representation that, yeah, it represents, you know, an identity or, or a person, but it's not a good representation, right? It's like even some of the things that I thought like, oh, that was a really great film. Then watching it after, you know, watching the clips after seeing the doc, you're like, oh, that's actually bad representation. Like we don't want all of that. Can you kind of talk about the difference between good representation of trans people and, you know, not? You know, it's an, it's an issue that I wrestle with that I've wrestled with my entire career. Like, I don't know the answer to whether visibility is good at any cost. When you are creating representations that, that harm the community, that reinforce this notion that trans women at the end of the day are men in hair and makeup, that, that trans men are just really masculine women. When media reinforces this through the narratives they tell, through the kinds of stories they choose to focus on, and through the casting of cis people to play trans parts, you're not doing good representation. You are creating a representation that directly leads to harm, that reinforces this idea that trans men and women are not who they say they are, that, that we are deceptive and that we are viable objects of, of abhorrence and disgust and violence. So for those of us who have been on the receiving end of these kinds of experiences, both on and off screen, we know that, that, that it's not fair to say that any representation is good representation. Jen remembers the movie Anything, a film that came out in 2018 and stars Matt Bomer as a trans woman. And I remember some producer, someone saying, well, you know, we couldn't get a trans woman to play the part of a trans woman. So we had to go with this, you know, cis man. But we're moving the conversation forward. And this is a line I've heard a lot. Oh, we're moving the conversation forward. And I always chuckle because I... I think back to Dog Day Afternoon, which was 1976, over 40 years ago, where there was, it was a true story. It was based on a trans woman, a man who tried to rob a bank in order to fund his girlfriend's sex change operation. And rather than actually hiring a trans woman to play the trans woman, they hired Chris Sarandon, who, you know, did the whole thing very, with a very masculine appearance, with a five o'clock shadow. And, you know, he was nominated for an Academy Award for it. It was his first ever performance in a, in a motion picture. And I'm like, well, how, how much further do we need to move the conversation before <laughs> trans people can start playing trans people and before the, the, the depictions are done with some level of dignity and, and respect and buy-in from the trans community itself? It's, it, it's, it's a fatuous argument uh, that has been made for, for far too long. Another movie Jen says she thinks about a lot is The Crying Game, which came out in 1992. There's a scene in the movie where Dill, played by Jay Davidson, is revealed as trans. When you watch Disclosure, you'll see the scene she's talking about. In the same way that Psycho created this ripple effect of cross-dressing psychopathic serial killers, <gasps> the crying game created a ripple effect of men reacting with vomiting when they see a transgender woman. It taught me that a man might respond to my body, to the disclosure that I was trans with vomiting, with disgust. Like I learned from that movie and from the many other movies and TV shows that picked up on this trope of a man violently vomiting uh, in response to the disclosure that a woman he had been with was trans, that taught me that that was an appropriate response or at least a response that, that I was right to expect. It taught the world that that was an okay response. At the same time, 
I did love seeing this beautiful trans woman on screen and in a story that was ultimately a love story. So these things are, are, are always mixed. They're very rarely simply good or bad. Even when media is created by and for members of the queer community, they can still get it wrong. In season three of The L Word, one character, Max, comes out as trans and begins to transition. He starts taking testosterone, and apparently as a result, he gets more and more violent and aggressive. I remember really vividly when that episode came out in real time, and a young trans person emailed a friend of mine um, who was sort of you know a public trans guy at the time, and the young person was like, "I'm you know I've been wanting to transition, but I saw this episode of the Award, and is that really what I'm going to be like?" You know, and it was just so heartbreaking, right, to know that 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 was being put forward as as you know the the possibilities of of who you will become if you inject yourself with testosterone. The L Word was a show made through a lesbian lens. And Sam says in the early 2000s, there was a lot of tension within the lesbian space around the emergence of trans men. And the way the writers wrote Max's character reflected that tension. It just saddens me to see so many of our strong butch girls giving up the womanhood to be a man. Women were saying that trans men were taking the easy way out. They didn't want to be butch women, that they wanted to access male privilege. Like these really really obnoxious um, accusations. And, and you know, I, I, so I do think that's what the L word was reflecting from that lens, you know, like, you know, not really taking a nuanced approach, not really trying to have a conversation around it, but kind of furthering that mythology. And although the trans community is pretty evenly split between trans men and trans women, when it comes to representation and film and television, trans women account for the overwhelming majority of trans characters. I think, you know, when we're talking about the industry, the bottom line is always first and foremost, and what is going to bring money and what is going to, you know, how are we going to get people's attention and commodifying women's bodies has, has always been a go-to in the industry. Um, so that's no surprise. It's much, it's, you know, it, the, the industry really knows how to exploit and sensationalize women's bodies. Um, on top of that, I, I do think in, you know, the culture we live in, people born male assigned, uh, you know, are higher, have more value, have more inherent value, right? And so when you see, when the larger culture sees someone who's male dis- assigned uh, become a woman, there's this uh, disbelief, why would you want to be a woman, right? And so this this sort of Curiosity is much more deep when you look at the power dynamics of our culture, um, as opposed to someone who's female assigned wanting to become a man. The culture at large is like, of course, everybody wants to be a man. Like that's <laughs> not such a big deal, you know. So I think that's also part of it. Um, there's also this um, idea, which is a problematic idea, and I, I have to kind of tease it apart more because it makes me really uncomfortable. Um, but there is some truth in it that. Um, you know, trans men seem to have uh, more passing privilege um, on, on the whole in society than trans women seem to. Um, I, I don't know about that statement. I don't know how true it is. Um, there have been a lot of people that have said that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one as well. 
Um, and so trans men are just less visible and therefore some people just don't even know trans men exist, that it's even a possibility. So I think there's a lot, a lot, lot, lot at work with the lack of representation of trans men. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, what Buffalo Bill and Ace Ventura have in common, plus the lasting effects of negative representation. Welcome back. Before the break, we talked about the danger of disclosure and how even members of the queer community can get representation wrong. There are even some surprising movie characters that have been associated with the trans experience, often by cis people. In Disclosure, Jen tells a story about something that happened before she transitioned. She was working with a classical music ensemble. These were a very, very highly trained, smart, sophisticated, educated, and hyper-liberal progressive people. She went with one of the musicians from the ensemble to see a concert. Jen says she was trying to work up the nerve to tell her that she was thinking about transitioning. It was a big deal. She was concerned about the effect it would have on her life and her career, but Jen told her anyway. And she looked at me, and with this kind of sense of confusion mingled with maybe a little bit of horror, (laughs) perhaps I was projecting that, but certainly confusion. And her response was, you you mean like Buffalo Bill? And my mouth just kind of dropped, and I realized like that was her only reference point. Her only sense of what a trans person was, was a homicidal serial killer, someone who hunted women and skinned them in order to literally appropriate their bodies. Like well, This is a common argument against trans women amongst some circles of, of, of radical feminists, this notion that the trans woman appropriates the female form, that it's this kind of deep fetish. And that movie <laughs> does that. And even though there's a little caveat in the movie where uh, Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter in discussion, and they, they, even, they even say, Buffalo Bill isn't a proper transsexual. Uh, nonetheless, th- that's that's a single second. The, 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 what sticks with us is the memory of Buffalo Bill tucking his penis in front of a mirror and saying, you know, would you fuck me? I would fuck me as he's hunting and skinning these women. And that's the reference. Like when someone finds out I'm trans, that's what comes to their mind. And I'm suddenly put in a position where I have to reckon with that. Like, how do I, how do I explain what I am and what that means to someone whose only frame of reference is Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. Where does the conversation go from there? Did that depiction affect you as a younger person when you saw the film? Assuming you saw it when you were younger, obviously it's an R-rated film, but how did it affect you personally? I have to be honest, that film, I love that film. I still love that film. It's a great film, but I never associated it with trans people. Like it just, I never for a moment, that's part of why I was so shocked when my friend responded that way. And it was only later as I was getting into these conversations with Sam and others about trans representation that I even really put that together. To me, there was absolutely no correlation between this psychotic killer and trans people, the kinds of people I, I had met and known and, and the um, my own desire to transition and my own, recognition of, of what I was and who I am. So it, it didn't, the, the image in itself didn't feel damaging because I didn't connect with it. It was just too foreign. It was the horror of finding out that other people might see me that way that really awakened me to how damaging that kind of portrayal can be. One of the things about this doc that really stuck with me, and I want to know if it was either of your intentions when you were, when you were creating it, is that it really 
to me, push to remind people, and it's, it's people outside the LGBT community, that trans people are people. The stories that like Laverne talks about getting onto a subway uh, car and just having people laugh at her. And I think what the doc does so well is it does talk about media representation and its effect on society, but it also is, it seeks to me to remind people like these are human beings that you are crushing with how you react to them. And I, I get that the media representation has trained them to that, but was that your intention when you, you know, put the doc together that it would do that? You know, yes and no. I, Jen, do you want to comment on that? Sam has been doing nonstop, in addition to working nonstop on this film for five years, and now ever since Sundance, he's been promoting the film. (laughs) He's not sleeping, he's not eating. So even as as eloquent and articulate as his answers are, it's a miracle. I think some people, for, for a lot of people, it's very easy to dehumanize trans people because they don't know trans people. All they know is what they see on screens. And so it's a character, it's an idea, it's something in literature, it's a trope. And and quite often the trans people in those contexts are reduced to being a plot point, to some way for another character to, to learn, or it's meant to be a, a shock or a, a twist. And when that's all that trans people are and nothing else about who they are is shown when they're reduced to that one single aspect it is easy to dehumanize them to forget that they're an entire person with a complicated history and that their transness is just one small part of that that's impossible for us to forget you know for for sam to forget for me to forget for all of the subjects in disclosure so i think as soon as we're speaking in our own voices as soon as we're telling our own stories as soon as we're talking about the impact that these images have it makes it impossible to dehumanize us one example they give is the climax of ace ventura pet detective police surround ace played by jim carrey and the villain of the movie lieutenant lois einhorn ace is trying to convince the 20 or so cops that einhorn is not who she says she is He first yanks at her hair, thinking it's a wig. It's not. Then he rips open her blouse to expose her chest. Surprise! She's got breasts. Finally, he spins her around and reveals her tucked penis. Every man in the room, the police officers, the SWAT team, even the dolphin, simultaneously heave, spit, and vomit in disgust. When for you, it's just this funny idea, it's this plot twist, it's, it's this, this comedic beat in a movie that you love, it's easy to forget the humanity. But for trans people, we see that and we're like, that's me. That late, like, I am someone who <laughs> that could happen to, and that this would be okay. And that this, this, you know, funny, heartwarming family film still thinks it's okay to have, as a bit, dozens of people vomiting at the reality of my body. When you watch real people react to these seemingly innocuous and quote-unquote outrageous plot twists like you do in Disclosure, the power of representation really sinks in. I never forget, I was down in North Carolina uh, with my mom and we were watching uh, television. This was was sometime after I had transitioned. And we were just watching primetime, you know, network television procedurals and things like that. And I think it was after the third or fourth joke at the expense of a trans person, just over the course of those few hours, that my mom finally looked at me with just this befuddlement on her face and this kind of horror. It's, I, I, never, I never realized this before. I never caught those jokes before. 
And I told her that, yeah, you never had to. You, you never had to notice it. It was just it was just a joke. It was just a passing thing. But now you have a trans daughter and it lands differently. This is a real person. And in a society where 80% of the population only knows trans people by what they've seen on TV or in movies, it's way too easy to settle into problematic and dangerous representation. And that's changing rapidly. I mean, every time I meet a young person or a parent, you know, they have a trans person somewhere in their life. You know, there's at least one student in their school who's trans. And I think that's part of what's precipitating this moment. It's harder and harder to dehumanize trans people because they're such a big part of our lives now. And because so many of us are in the public eye, we are on magazine covers and we're in TV shows and people are being forced to confront us as real people. And I think this movie is going to just be a quantum leap for that kind of humanization of trans people. When Sam asked me if there was a moment from the documentary that had stayed with me, it was hard to choose. There were so many emotional, enlightening, insightful moments. But I thought of one with Laverne Cox, who is one of the executive producers of Disclosure, where she talks about being on the subway in the beginning of her transition. She said that one time she walked onto a subway train and everyone just laughed at her. To watch a force like Laverne, beautiful, powerful, magnetic, world-altering, to see her hurt because of some assholes on the subway or some crude joke in a movie, it hurt me too. Isn't that people's point when they're making fun of other people is they want to hurt them? And so, you know, how do we get underneath that? Like, how do we get underneath the culture that, that you know, kind of trains people to want to hurt one another? I know that's like the larger kind of philosophical question, but I couldn't help but think about that. We do want to hurt each other all the time. We see, we just see evidence of that all the time. You know, when I think about Laverne's uh, story about being on the subway, and and I, I think every trans person has has similar stories. I remember early in my transition before I started uh, uh, passing that I, I would get chased down the street. You know, people threaten me. Um, I had someone on the on the subway spit at me. Uh, <sighs> people make vomiting noises and disgust, and. What really gets me about those incidents is not that the the person who was doing it, the person who was making the vomiting noises or spitting, that I kind of expect. There's always going to be some horrific people out in the world who are just, you know, full of hate or have their own issues, whatever that is. What really hurt me about those incidents is that no one else did anything. Mm -hmm. That like on a crowded subway car, no one told the people laughing at Laverne to shut the hell up. Mm -hmm. That no one said anything to the person spitting on me. They just kind of, there's this, this kind of default assumption, well, that's what you get. For being that, that's what you get. Gosh, um, that, yes, yes. That, like, I, this is totally tangential, but that is, like, the, the reverberations of that are so huge. I, you know, when I came out at a job I had been at for over five years, when I came out, my my boss um, stopped talking to me, um, denied me of a promotion that he had already agreed to, stopped writing letters of recommendations. Um, and when I told my closer supervisor about that, she just said, oh, that sucks. And it was so dismissive. And it's that similar thing of like, you yourself might not be overtly transphobic, but if you're not stepping in, and it, it, that is actually where the harm is really deep, when you're dismissive of the transphobia around you. And that is, that is, that's one of the biggest changes I've seen over the last few years is that other people do speak up now. Um, I mean, I mainly see it on social media, but it's been wonderful. Like when some big trans issue comes up, 
and I go on Twitter, I know it's not going to just be trans people speaking back to J.K. Rowling. In fact, it's going to be a majority of cis people who know trans people and know these issues who are going to be speaking out. And that makes me feel so much safer in the world. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm part of it. It makes me feel like other people have my back. It allows me to be more actively engaged in the world and to be there for other people. You know, like as a white person, I can more be there for Black Lives Matter because I know that other cis people are going to be there for me on trans issues. And that's a really wonderful cycle that can happen when we all start having each other's backs. What do each of you hope comes from disclosure? I love how Jen answers this one. <laughs> what do you hope for, Jen? Well, I can't do it properly if you don't go first, Sam, but okay, fine. Um, <laughs> I'm always a little hesitant to project hopes onto an audience. My, my real hope is that they sit through the entire thing. Uh, anything beyond that is bonus. What I most hope, though, is that they, anyone who watches Disclosure can never unsee what it shows, that they can never see a moment like what happened in Ace Ventura or Max on the L word or Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs or the crying game and not see it critically, not be aware that, wow, what is that like for actual trans people seeing this? Or, or what is this really saying about trans people? What was a trans person involved in this? They can never unsee that. And then beyond that, and this is something that, that Sam has been so astute about articulating in, in terms of how to contextualize this film, uh, what it, how it speaks to the moment beyond just trans people. It's really about critical media awareness. What, what Sam is doing through the, through the lens of this one particular marginalized identity, trans people, is showing that media shapes the way that we look at a group and that we need to be critical consumers of that media. And through disclosure, through showing trans people talking about the way that we've been depicted, and through unpacking those representations and humanizing and putting in context, showing the consequences and, and the origins of these kinds of stories, he's creating media literacy. He's forcing you to think differently about the images you see on screen. So our, our grand hope is that people will that will change people and that they will then look at other media depictions differently. The next time they see the way an indigenous person or a black person or an Asian person, whoever is depicted on screen, they'll bring that same kind of critical awareness and media literacy to those depictions and think about how would that land for that person? Who's actually making that story? Who's depicting it? Why? To what end? That's the big hope. If you have a transgender kid, you are living with a unicorn, an amazing <laughs> human being. To be next to someone so brave, so cool, so close to themselves. I was watching this father, and it just, it hurt, because I have never seen myself the way that father saw his own child. I'd never seen myself that way. I'd never looked at myself with the kind of love and respect and awe that that father had for his own child. No one's looked at me that way. How could I look at me that way? I had to see it. And now that I have, I want that. I want and I hope a general audience will, you know, interrogate their beliefs about trans people, you know, sort of question the, the ideas they, they kind of walk around with on a daily basis. 
I want non-trans filmmakers to question their interests in telling trans stories, um, to understand that having trans people as a plot twist or narrative device has contributed to our dehumanization and, and to question, you know, it, you know, saying that it's a, it's a cool idea, it's so interesting, is, is really not enough of a reason to take on a community that you may not have a stake in, um, that you might not have anything on the line. Um, you know, I want trans people um, to watch the film and to feel a sense of empowerment to kind of have this moment of like that, that so many moments that I had, I hope other trans people can feel, which were, okay, I've had these rumblings inside for so many years about this, this sort of hate and shame and violence that I see all around me. I know it's really, really deep. I know it has historical roots, but what are they? And then finally seeing it in one place is kind of validating, you know, cause you're, you're gas, you know, all minoritized and marginalized communities are gaslit all the time, right? Told that their feelings aren't valid, that they're not real, um, that they're taking things too seriously. It's just a joke or, or the crime isn't as bad, you know? the killings aren't as bad or you know more people should be killed you know as we've heard in the news lately um so i hope that it there's, there's sort of a validation to see the root of the hame and the shape and the violence that we've internalized for so long and seeing it outside of yourself in a context that's held and guided by other trans people can allow a trans person to move past it in a way they haven't before marion wright edelman said, children cannot be what they cannot see. And it's not just about children. It's about all of us. We cannot be a better society until we see that better society. I cannot be in the world until I see that I am in the world. Go watch Disclosure now on Netflix. You can also see Jen Richards, most recently on the HBO series Miss Fletcher. And you can watch the web series she wrote and created with Laura Zak, Her Story, on YouTube. It's a set of six nine-minute episodes telling the story of two transgender women living in Los Angeles, and it's so good. You should also check out Sam Fetter's other award-winning films. Kate Bornstein is A Queer and Pleasant Danger on Vimeo, and Boy I Am on Kenopi.com, with a public library or university login. But first, go watch Disclosure. Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. Share us with your friends, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Pride. You can follow me, at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, and Ryan Tillotson. Edited by Sebastian Alcala. Please stay safe, stay healthy, stay home, and listen to more podcasts. Sam and I have been doing a lot of these and sometimes there's a little pause and I'm just, I'm always going to wait for Sam to answer first. And I'm always going to want Jen to answer.